To whom then will you liken me? Or shall I be equal? Saith the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high. And behold, who hath created these things? That bringeth out their host by number. He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might. For that he is strong in power. And you ought to say amen to that. Not one faileth. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel? My way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God. That, you know what he's saying there? What a lot of people ask. God, why have you forgotten me? God, why did you pass me over? Lord, I'm not sure where to go. How come you're not telling me what I'm supposed to do? That's how you feel sometimes when you're discouraged. But he replies to us with a question. Because we're ignorant in many of our ways. And the question of God is, hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, and He is everlasting, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of His understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, He increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they, notice the they, is a, there's a qualifier here. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up. In other words, if you look up here, it's like an eagle spreading out its wings. An eagle can have up to seven and a half foot wingspan. Imagine that. They shall mount up, ready to soar and take to the heavens. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Notice the word in verse 31, renew. Circle that word. Renew is more than being re-energized or revived. Those are good words. Renew literally means to be just like new. You know how it feels when you put on a pair of shoes you really like that are new. It feels really good. Get an old shoes, new shoe. Or get out of your work clothes that feel very heavy by the end of the day and put on your whatever your home clothes are, okay, and you feel renewed. God is telling us in verse 31, an irrevocable promise. You can be just like new. Even if you're 100 years old, you can be just like new. Even if you're languishing in bed, you can be just like new. Father, would you bless your word this morning because you promised in Isaiah 54 that it will not return to you void. We've read the holy word of God. It's speaking about the holy one of heaven. Would you feed our souls? 
As you said in verse 11, if you feed your flock, would you carry the lambs close to your bosom and guide those that are with young? Lord, would you, as chief shepherd of this flock at Heritage Baptist Church, oversee work in our midst? I pray for a great work of God to be done. And at the end of the service, we'll say God is glorified. I pray for sinners to be saved, Christians to be revived, sin to be confessed, repentance in all of our hearts, a greater love for God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Many of most of you, especially if you've grown up here in America, are familiar with a legendary and mythical place called the Fountain of Youth. The Fountain of Youth is said to have been a discovery that the Spanish conquistador and explorer by the name of Ponce de Leon founded somewhere in Florida. And this Fountain of Youth is reputed that anyone who drank the water and bathed in it had sustained youth. Pastor Jerry Vines, who pastored down in Jacksonville, Florida for many, many years, great Bible preacher and expositor, retired a few years ago, said he actually went down, went down to find this. There's a location down in St. Augustine, Florida, where they've, they've got this monument set up, which is called the Fountain of Youth. And so he, uh, he went to go see it with his family. While his wife turned her head, nobody was looking. He actually cupped his hand into the water to taste it, to see what it was like. He had no idea that there was actually sulfur in the water. And he, he put it in his mouth and immediately spit it out and actually vomited after he said that. He did that, and he says, man, if that's the fountain of youth, I think I was about to die after drinking that water there and getting it in my mouth there. Everyone is in a quest as they get older. They're in a quest for something that gives them more energy, more vitality, a less, uh, you know, less aging, to slow down the aging process, things of that nature. And all of you have probably one time or the other, you looked in the mirror, and you said, oh, there's some gray hair. I'm watching some of my staff guys. They're getting gray hair. I hope it's not for me, amen, you know. But, uh, but I watched some of our staff guys just start to get gray hair there a little bit. And uh, looking, you know we, we, you know, we look at that and we see a few more brows in our foreheads and things like that. Our whole economy revolves around anti-aging and youthful types of things. For instance, there's a, there's a dermatological product that is bought probably by women. It's called SkinCeuticals, C.E. Ferulic. And their advertisement says this, there's a reason SkinCeuticals, C.E. Ferulic, Serum is a dermatologist's favorite. The triple antioxidant formula protects against dark, spot-causing, free radical damage and boosts radiance. Now, if you listen to that, if you're someone that, that has dark spots and you feel like you're aging, you kind of, you know, you kind of perk up at that for a little bit there. You think, wow, you know, because they said all the right things to get you, to entice you to buy that product, thinking that if you rub it around, it'll help erase the dark spots and things of that nature there. And it probably does work. I'm not against that. It's probably got a high concentration of vitamin D and things like that to help you through that. But, you know, for someone who feels like, hey, you know, I want to slow down the aging process, they'll take partake of that. Or consider some of us who are very wary. Some of our, our church members pre-COVID were traveling as much as two hours one way to work and two hours back. And I, and I think about a lot of our members who, have to, who, who travel down to the South Bay 
And the horrendous traffic, going, going there in the morning is one thing, going at 5 o'clock in the morning, but coming back at 3 in the afternoon, having driven it myself a couple of times, that, that traffic coming back after 3 o'clock, or actually after 2 o'clock, whether you're coming from 101 or down 84, or you're coming down 880 or going to 680, I mean, you could be stuck down there for up to two hours, if not longer, uh, many times. And sometimes someone would make an appointment with me, and uh, they would many, many times, if they're coming from South Bay, would have to text or call me to say, Pastor, I'm still stuck in traffic. I'm down at Maori Avenue. And, uh, and so they said, I may not be another hour. I'm another hour away. So the way traffic is, and, and that's just the way it is here. But you get tired from traveling. You know, you get tired from work. You get tired from all these different types of things there. So listen to this. As we think about, about uh, things like that, um, I think about Monster Energy Drink, which advertises itself as an energy booster. Listen to their own advertising. They say, tear into a can of the meanest energy drink on the planet, Monster Energy. It's the ideal combo of the right ingredients in the right proportion to deliver the big, bad buzz that only Monster can. Now, you read that, and especially an athlete or, or someone who's athletic or somebody very drinks it. Well, maybe that, if I drink that, it'll help me. Or how about Red Bull? Maybe some of you have drinking Red Bull. Now, I want to confess that I've never drank Monster Energy. I've never drank Red Bull, but I do drink a lot of coffee, amen? And so I can tell you that I get a little energized from that. But it says this. It vitalizes body and mind. They put their trademark after that. When they say this, this is their advertisement. Red Bull Energy Drink is appreciated worldwide by top athletes, busy professionals, college students, and travelers on long journeys. I mean, we appeal to these things. We think, man, if I can get one extra shot to get me going during the day. I mean, I know some men uh, that have come through our church. They have a regular eight-hour, nine-hour-a-day job, and then they, they probably drive Uber or past days or whatever, like that, and they drive a few more hours, and they just feel like they drag in their house by 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night. Their wife is waiting for them, and they've, they've had a couple shots of uh, you know Red Bull or something like that just to kind of kept them going while they're driving and things of that nature there. We all know that sometimes we get... We, we worry about our diet. As we get older, we're concerned about that. So you read about foods that help against aging, some anti-aging type of foods. They're very strong antioxidants like blueberries and, praise God, dark chocolate, amen, and uh, broccoli and, and deep ocean, deep sea fish like salmon and, and tuna, which is very good for selenium, and uh, avocado and spinach and nuts and pomegranates, figs and red bell peppers. And I, I know a lot of you, I mean, you eat those things and I eat those things and we do it to hopefully sustain our, our you know, to help our cell growth and things like that. Or foods that help give you energy if you're just kind of down and you feel depleted. And, and everybody has a certain time of the day where maybe it's the afternoon or late morning, you feel a little bit depleted there. And so you'll, they'll tell you to eat something like a bananas or a shot of nuts or some, or, um, Maybe some coffee or eggs or apple or drink more water, all those things. But why do we do that? Why do we do all those things? Why are we concerned about aging and why are we concerned about all these things? Because I tell you, honestly, everyone faces some time or another, more than once in their life, they face a period of time, maybe they're drained, they're depleted, and they feel wasted. Even in our spiritual lives, we can get to the place we feel like we're on a low barely able to get ourselves along, and honestly, we feel like we are burned out spiritually. Praying does not feel like praying anymore. That first love we had when we first got saved seems to be just old hat to us. The routine feels like it's very, it's very difficult to do. We feel like it's hard for us to get back to church. I mean, think about it. For, for many people, and I don't say this in a, in a critical way, but for many people who've, who've been watching and dependent upon church, uh, live stream for church for six or seven months and come back for the first time, there's kind of an excitement the first time you come back, and there's an excitement the second time you come back. But uh, by the third or fourth time, you get back in the routine. And honestly, if you're human, you're going to say, yeah, we're just back to routine again. You feel tired and 
You know, I was watching the first hour of service as, as we were, uh, you know, just were preaching away, and kids, teenagers were getting a little tired and weary there, and I saw our eyes kind of well, get, get tired. We get tired. We get weary. We get depleted. Things happen in life. But notice this morning, Isaiah 40 was written to give you and I God's formula, God's word, God's wisdom, what to do in your spiritual life and your life as a whole when you get to this place of being depleted and drained and even burned out. What do you do when we face these debilitating conditions? I want you to notice four things this morning very quickly because we don't have a lot of time. Number one, I want you to notice all of us are susceptible. I want you to see the susceptible. Now, susceptible means being prone to or vulnerable to. Everyone is prone to or vulnerable to a couple things. Number one, we're all susceptible to discouragement. All of us are susceptible to discouragement. Now, you may not be discouraged today, but someone who is here today that's discouraged, the ears perk up. Discouragement, notice this, discouragement is when we feel a big letdown and a loss of hope and spirit. Look at verse 27. Israel was discouraged. In chapter 40, I'll read verse 27 in a minute. Chapter 40 was written to comfort God's people. To give them a shot in the arm. To help a people that were feeling like life had no meaning. Life was discouraging. They said in verse 27, God said to them, Why sayest thou, O Jacob? And speaketh, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God. In other words, God, I feel like I'm walking in darkness. I'm groping along the way. God, I feel like you passed me over. God, I feel like you've forgotten me. God, I feel like you left me out. God, honestly, I feel like, God, you don't love me. You know, I mean, there are people that feel that way. I mean, they come from perhaps a shattered background. And maybe a very traumatic situation in their life that was unexpected, never called for. They feel like they're living in a nightmare. Some people feel like that way. They feel like they're living in a literal nightmare. And they feel like, like Israel and Judah did. They say, my way is hid from the Lord, and God doesn't care. My judgment is passed over. I mean, they're, they're in a place where there's a big letdown. And, you know, when discouragement comes, when you have discouragement, I have discouragement. I mean, it's, a, it's an emotional low. It's a spiritual low. It's a mental low. When we get that way, depending on the extreme, we, we just lose interest. We don't get hungry. We don't feel like eating. We don't feel like our uh, socially. We don't feel like our relationships. We can really click with people. We feel very disconnected. We feel very drained. Uh, we feel uh, we, we can't sleep very well. A uh, number of things like that. Uh, I think about William Ward. Listen to what William Ward said. He defined discouragement this way. He said, discouragement is dissatisfaction with the past. Distaste for the present and distrust of the future. A discouragement for some of us may be like the patriarch Jacob after, after he, he thought Joseph was dead. And now Simeon is down in Egypt and Simeon is being held as captive. And now he's being told that Benjamin has to go down. And he's an old man. He's been suffering for several years with just discouragement. He was very heartbroken at the loss of Joseph. You know what he said? How he summed up discouragement? That's how some of us are. He summed up discouragement this way. He said, all these things are against me. That was a spiritual man. That was the man that wrestled with the angel of God, and God gave him power, and God changed his name from Jacob, which means deceiver and supplanter, to Israel, which means you're a prince with God. Here's a man that was called a prince with God. He says, I feel like all these things are against me. Have you ever had anybody say that? Have you ever said that? 
God, are you with me? Are you for me? You feel like all things, all, all things are against me. All these things are against me. Hey, King David described this. Great. He was such at a low point in his life. He analogized himself to, to a pelican and owl. He said this, I'm like a pelican of the wilderness. I'm like an owl of the desert. When we're discouraged, we lose faith. We have, we're discouraged, we lose focus. When we're discouraged, we're languishing. When we're discouraged, our enthusiasm, excitement is just kind of dissipated. It's gone. Hey, listen, this morning, we, we're susceptible to discouragement. Hey, we're susceptible to dissipation. I'm very thankful for this congregation, our congregation. We're not an extraordinarily large church. But if I had to, when pastors ask me, how would you describe your people? I tell them a lot of things. But one of the things I tell them is that perhaps the congregation God has allowed me to pastor is among the hardest working people anywhere. Our people work hard. A lot of our people put in a lot of hours. And then on top of that, they try to reserve enough energy to be good mothers and fathers and have great marriages. And all those things. But the frankness of the matter is that we get seasons of times in our lives when we've spent all that we have and we're dissipated. We're drained and depleted. Students get that way. Hey, students, you've got seven or eight top you know, subjects you're carrying and you know, you've, got, you know, uh, you've got these extra classes you're taking for college and things like that and, and you're just constantly at it and, and your parents are worried about you because you know, from sunup to, to uh, past one o'clock in the morning, you're doing homework and things of that nature and projects and you're trying to do extracurricular activity and honestly, you know, you feel a little, you know, parents feel a little bit of compassion for their kids. They feel like, well, maybe Saturday should let them sleep an extra hour or two or like that. But you, but you know that you've got to keep them going there. But, you know, all of us get depleted, all of us get drained. Look at verse 30. I mean, he describes it this way. He says, the, the problem of depletion and dissipation is so bad. He says, even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young man shall utterly fall. Even the youth, he said, are susceptible to fainting and weariness. Listen, when we have no energy, we have no enthusiasm, we're tired and we're weary. And listen, really what he's talking about here, we can get to the place that we are so depleted. It's just we're at the place where even the routine things of life just don't have any excitement. They don't have any enthusiasm. As I said earlier, you know, we, can, we, can, we come back to church, we're excited, we're enthused, but give it once, once the counting reopens up and you get back to a place, you've come four weeks and five weeks, you're just back in the routine and something happens and you get a distraction and you have a life event that changes things and you can get tired. Listen, people get tired of doing the same things. People get tired of seeing the same people. People get tired of the old job. People get tired of meager to no results. People get tired of being sick. People get tired of spiritual activity, which includes praying and reading their Bible. You might be someone that's praying right now, and you feel like you're just going through an exercise, and you feel like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. You have, you have no way of getting a hold of God. You feel like your Bible reading, you're just looking at pages and words that don't mean anything to you. I mean, people get tired. They get tired of coming to church. They get tired of living for God. They get tired of doing, being well-doing. They get tired of serving. They get tired of winning souls. They get tired of the same old thing. They get tired of the same old preaching. I mean, just, just to be honest with ourselves this morning, we get to the place where we can get very dissipated and tired of doing those things. And so I guess the question asked this morning, do we get tired of the blessings of heaven? Are we tired of worshiping God? 
Are we weary in our souls? With the place that depletes and drains and nobody knows it but you know it. You feel like you're just dragging your way along and you're going through the emotions. You're trying the best you can. But you know deep down in your heart things can be much better and your energy can be much more. And your enthusiasm can be much more perked up. But it's just not there. We're susceptible. Now if all I did was talk about what we're susceptible to, we would stay in the mud of discouragement and dissipation. That's not where I want us to be. Amen. God doesn't want us in the mud. It's like Dr. Lee Robertson used to say, there's the mud, there's the mountain, but then there's the master. Amen? And we have to remind ourselves this morning, God doesn't want us down in the mud of discouragement. He doesn't want us down in the mud of dissipation. He doesn't want us down in the mud of depletion. He wants us to realize there's a better way, there's a, there's a better place we can be, and that's the place where God is able to renew us and help us. And so, number one, I want you to see today the source of renewal. The source of renewal. Is it through Monster Energy? Is it through Red Bull? Is it by changing my diet? Is it eating more blueberries? Is it taking a shot of honey, uh, two scoops of honey every afternoon? What is it? No, none of that. The source of our renewal is God Himself. Notice verse 31. They that wait upon the government. Is that what it says? They that wait upon the state of California to open up. No. They that wait upon the Lord. And in verses 12 to 31, the entire emphasis is God. God who's mighty. God who's powerful. Look at verses 12 to 16. Fact number one. God is, God is all-powerful and incomparable. In verse 12, especially many of you who are students and studying science, look at the greatness of God. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of His hand? Now, the waters is incorporating all the water on planet Earth. All the water on planet Earth in terms of dimension and size, is about 331, cubic mi- 331 million cubic miles. That's awesome. 331 million cubic miles. Guess what? You know how that's described to God? He holds it in the hollow of His hand. That's pretty awesome, amen? And then you look a little bit more in verse 12. It says, who's meted out the heavens with the span? Now, what's the span? You know the span. The span is the distance from your thumb to your pinky. The heavens is talking about the galaxies and the universe. And all of that incorporates, I was reading about that a little bit more, just trying to refresh myself because I've been out of, kind of out of that, that aspect of things for a little bit. And I was amazed. I said, God says about the galaxies, God says about the universe itself, He says He holds it in the span of His hand. He says, who can comprehend the dust of the earth in a measure? He says, you need to, if you add up all the dust there, that's humongous. He says, it's like a, God can measure it. And he says, who can weigh on a scale the mountains and the hills? You know what he's saying there? God is great and God is mighty. Then he goes on later on. He says, who, who can give direction to God? I mean, who is mighty enough to tell the Spirit of the Lord where to go and what to do? Who's God's counselor? By the way, aren't you glad God doesn't need a counselor? He is the counselor, amen? And then you get a little bit further down, and you notice in verses 14 to 16, he compares God to the nations. Now, as of right now, today, there are 195 nations upon planet Earth. What does God say about the nations? And you think of it for a minute. 
GDP, you combine United States and, and uh, all of Europe, and you combine China, and you combine all the great nations of the world, and South America and Canada. I mean, you talk about GDP and military might and power. You know what God has to say about all the nations of the world? He says in verse 14, they're just like a drop in the bucket. He says they're like the small dust of the balances. He says all the islands of the, of the seas are like very little things. And here's what's real awesome. He said in verse 17, all the nations are less than nothing compared to God. Now I'm going to tell you what. What does he mean by all that? What is he telling us here is that God is all powerful and incomparable. You know what he's saying? God is big. God is bigger than the nation. God is bigger than the universe. God is bigger than the Milky Way. God is bigger than the sun. God is big, bigger than the orbit. God is bigger than your problems. God is bigger than your dilemma. God is bigger than your disease. God is bigger than death. God is bigger than all that because He's God. Amen. God is awesome. But notice number two. God is always in control. Look at verses 22 to 24. Verse 22 says, It is He that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers. Now, years ago, there was a big debate, many, many hundred years ago, is the earth flat or is it round? If they took their Bibles and read Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22, they would have saw God already answered that question. By the way, every question in life has already been answered by the Bible, if you didn't know that. Amen? Every question in life has been answered by the Bible. You know what He said there? He sits upon the circle of the earth. He said the world is round. Now, I want you to understand where God's sitting. He's not sitting at the bottom. He's sitting overseeing everything. He knows what's going on. God's always in control. And you might feel like your problem is spinning out of control. And you might feel like, like a car that's on ice that's hit some black ice and you're spinning out of control. I want to remind you, God has everything in control. He sits over that. He says all the inhabitants thereof are like grasshoppers. He says he stretches out the heavens like a canopy. Uh, he says, I mean, just... And then notice verse 23. He says, that bringeth the princes to nothing. Now, when we think about princes, he's talking about people in major position leadership. Presidents, prime ministers, kings. He says, I bring them to nothing. He did that with Nebuchadnezzar. He did that with the kings of Assyria. He did that with, he did that with Alexander the Great, who headed Greece. He did that with Nebuchadnezzar there in Babylon. He says, he brings the prince to nothing. Then there's something, since we're kind of thinking about judges and the nomination of a new Supreme Court justice there to, that will replace Ruth, uh, 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 Ruth Baden Ginsburg. He says, he maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. They're nothing before God. God is in control. God is big. But notice something else we see in verses 25 and 28. God is never lacking in power and strength. You know, he's saying all these things to remind us who God is because the people of God had lost perspective as to who God is. They'd forgotten the things they had learned. They had learned early on in their lives in theology who God is, that God is great and God is big and God is creator and God is everlasting and God is all-powerful and God is everywhere at all times and God's all-knowing. But they forgot all that. That's why he asked that question later on in verse, in verse 21. He says, have you not known? Have you not heard? He said, what happened? You learned all these things. He said, God's people forget these things. You know, we, we, we're discouraged and we're dissipated and we're drained. You know what happens? We forget all those things. We're only focused on the pain and the hurt and the drain and the depletion and the wasting and the burnout. And in comparison, look at verses 25 and 28. To whom then will you liken me or shall I be equal, saith the Lord? Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. Louis Singer, you might get weary and you might get depleted and you might get drained, but I've got good news for you. God doesn't experience that. 
God never gets drained. God is never depleted. God never gets weary. God never gets weak. God's never lacking for power. God doesn't atrophy. God, God is the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's everlasting. He's creator. He's almighty. He holds the ends of the earth together. He fainteth not, neither is weary. Listen, you might think God gets weary of hearing your prayers. I want to tell you, He doesn't. You may think God gets weary of your failures. He doesn't. You may think God gets impatient with you. He doesn't. You may think God doesn't love you. He does love you. you you may think God gets tired of your, your, your lackadaisicalness, but God doesn't. God is telling us here, He never gets weary, He never gets tired. Listen, this morning, God never gets tired of forgiving us of all of our sins. God never gets tired of loving us when we need love. God never gets tired of encouraging us when we need encouragement. God never gets tired. God never gets weary. By the way, He gets never weary or tired of being God. Amen? The source for renewal is God Himself. God never gets tired. God never gets weary. We see the source for renewal. But notice, thirdly, we see the steps for renewal. Now, how do you get renewed? We know nobody compares to God. Uh, It's just like the old saying they used to say in churches in days gone by, God is God all by Himself. He doesn't need anybody else. So how does God give us renewal? We have the constant, the given. He's mighty and he's big. He doesn't fade. He doesn't get weary. He's the same. By the way, the God of Elijah is the God of you and me. The God of Abraham is the same God for you and me. The God of John the Baptist is the same God for you and me. The God of the Apostle Paul is the same God that we have. He doesn't change. He's the everlasting God. So how do we get there? Well, there's two things I want to give you this morning from this passage. Look at verse 26. First thing we need to do is we need to look above. We need to get our eyes off the, the mud and get our eyes off our problem and get our eyes off our disability and get our eyes off where we're walking, get our eyes off the darkness. We've got to get, get from looking down and we've got to look up. We've got to realize God is not below. God is above us. He says, look above, lift up your eyes. Listen, so many of us, we have our eyes in many places, but the number one place we must have our eyes is we've got to get our eyes on the Lord. That's what the Bible tells us in Hebrews 12, too. He says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Look what he says in verse 26 he says he says here lift up your eyes on high and behold who has created these things that bringeth out their hosts by number he called them all by names by the greatness of his mind for that he is strong in power not one faileth now here's what god's telling us stop looking at our circumstances and start looking at the savior stop looking at our casualties and start looking at our creator Stop looking at our, at our adversity and start looking at the fact we have an advocate the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Stop looking at our problems and start realizing we need to look at the possibilities. Stop looking at our failures and start living by faith. Stop looking at, at our disappointments of life and realize the disappointments of life are God's appointments in our life. Realize that whatever is there, God appointed that for you and I. You may think someone meant it for evil, but God always means it for good. We must stop looking at our losses and start looking at our crosses. Lift up your eyes on high. Lift up your eyes to heaven. Hey, Psalms 121, verse 1. I will lift up my eyes into the hills whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord. Hey, where are your eyes this morning? Let's get our eyes on the Lord. We must look above. And secondly, which you notice, verse 31. We must lean against. You ever been, after maybe... 
a very exhausting or grueling activity. And maybe you didn't eat enough to kind of just energize yourself. You felt pretty drained. You ever find yourself leaning against a pillar or a building or against a car? Something that's well foundation and strong that has enough resistance that it, you will not fall down, that will resist your weight. Waiting on the Lord is not just leaning upon the Lord. It's literally leaning against the Lord, where you're, He's sustaining and holding you up. Now, if I had to ask, the number one thing all of us have difficulty with, it's waiting. As a kid growing up, when I first had a concept of Christmas, like all of you as kids, you couldn't wait for Christmas to come, right? And if you were like me, you were a dishonest little kid, and you probably opened a little present, poked a little hole so nobody could see it, and you peeked inside to try to figure out what's there, right? Okay, you probably did that. We have a hard time waiting. The Bible tells us we must lean against. And let me give you two things about waiting this morning. What does it mean to wait upon the Lord? Well, number one, write this down. Waiting upon the Lord means we must pray. Believe it or not, waiting upon the Lord means we must pray. During my most weakest moments, when I spent a season in prayer, when God says it's time to get off your knees, there's an energization that only God can give you through prayer. It's hard to get to that place, but when you're there, the only thing I can tell you, there's a renewal. How do we pray when we're depleted and drained and discouraged and at rock bottom? Well, some things we need to learn from Scripture. Number one, we must pray about our discouragement. We must pray about our depletion. We must pray about it. Listen to what the Bible says in Philippians 4, 6. In everything, in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. You know what God is telling you? It's okay to tell the Lord, Lord, I'm feeling discouraged. Lord, I'm feeling a little bit down. It's okay to come to God and tell Him what caused that discouragement. You know, psychiatrists, they make a ton of money by just sitting there and listening to you tell them all about their problem. They charge you by the hour. And by the way, they don't offer you anything. They're kind of like Job said. They're just... You know, they're, they're, uh, you know they, they just they can't help you there. But they make their money listening. Hey, i got some good news for you. You don't have to do that. You can go to God. He doesn't charge you a dime to tell Him all about your problems. Amen? You tell God everything that's on your heart. Just tell Him your heartache, your, your, maybe your health issues, maybe whatever it may be. My wife got a call this last, this last two or three days. She was help, helping a, 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 a member of our church who's going through a really, really bad health trial. And we found out some more things yesterday. It was very disturbing to us. We're just really, you know, just really asking God for wisdom about but. You know, back in the early days when that person went through the trial, the first thing we said is, you know, you've got to tell God about it. I'll tell God about it, but it's not the same. You've got to tell God what's going on. You've got to pray about your situation. Listen, one of the core reasons why we never get out of depletion and why depletion leads to discouragement and de- discouragement leads to even depression and depression leads to just, you know, just, you know, when, you, when you're depressed, I tell you, sometimes you're depressed, you socially just want to disconnect from everybody. And you just don't want to be around anybody. You want anybody around you. And, and, and part of the situation there is we allow that to, to morph us and to control us. And we've got to get to the place of where we're praying about it. But secondly, we must not only pray about it. 
We must pray through it. We must pray through it. Discouragement does not end. Deep discouragement could take days, weeks, and even months. Because did you know something? Winning upon the Lord means sometimes the problem doesn't go away overnight. God has an appointed time for that discouragement. In some cases, it could be one year. It could be five years. It could be the rest of your life. That's just what it is. You get diagnosed with a disease, and you have to live with, with that, and whatever had, was involved with the treatment of that, it's with you the rest of your life. Notice what the Bible says here. Jacob was in a, was in a really bad part of his life, really deep, deep spot. He was leaving where he was at in Syria with his father-in-law who had cheated him. He heard that his brother Esau, who he, had, he hadn't seen for over 20 years, Esau was coming with 400 men to meet him. He, didn't know, he just assumed the worst. He traveled all day. He separated the family from him. He said, you go ahead over the brook. The brook. He stayed in an area called Peniel. And there the Bible says he wrestled with God. Now I want you to understand, this is late at night. He's traveled all day. He's depleted. He's weary. He's, in fact, that chapter tells us he's worried. He's filled with fear. I mean, all these thoughts are going through him. The angel of God meets him. The angel engages him and arrests him because God says, okay, Jacob, enough's enough. I'm going to get your attention. I want you to understand you're depending upon yourself when you need to depend upon me. And the Bible says Jacob wrestled all night with the Lord. And here's what Jacob said as dawn was breaking. The Bible says, and he said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. We must pray through that circumstance. Now, what helps us, you go over to Hosea chapter 12. Hosea chapter 12 gives us a little more insight. Hosea chapter 12 tells us that Jacob prevailed over the angel. He prevailed through prayer. His wrestling with the angel wasn't that he was physically stronger. He showed that he, was, he had enough resilience to stay through it. He prayed through that circumstance. Let me tell you today, when we're going through deep, deep circumstances, there must be a point where we must separate ourselves from everything else. It might be half a day. It may be an entire day. It may be an entire week. But we've got to separate ourselves from everything else and realize renewal is not getting a plane trip and going several thousand miles away and hoping that if you stay on a beach somewhere, you're going to get renewal, or hoping that if you go up to a cabin somewhere where you're distant from everybody and you're disconnected from all communication, is going to help you. True renewal comes when we get on our face before God and we not only pray about our situation, but we pray through our situation until God tells you that He's given you a breakthrough in that circumstance. We must pray about it. We must pray through it. We must pray against it. Look what Jesus had to say about it in Luke 18.1. He spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. So, waiting upon the Lord requires that we pray. But waiting upon the Lord requires we must have patience. We must be patient. We cannot rush God. You say, well, God, I want it now. But that's not how God works. God is manifesting and helping us understand bit by bit, second by second, moment by moment, how great and how awesome, how good He is in your life and mine. Patient demands that our urgency does not become an emergency. Listen to what the Scriptures say, Psalms 27:14. Wait upon the Lord. Be of good courage. Why? Because we have fears. 
We feel like backing off. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. Psalms 40, verse 1. Then I waited patiently for the Lord, and he climbed unto me and heard my cry. Psalms 62, 1. Truly my soul waiteth upon God. From him comes my salvation. Hey, we've got to wait upon the Lord. Hey, there's a story about a young man by the name of Rick Hoyt. Rick Hoyt heard that there was going to be a running event, a five-mile running event, to help raise funds for disabled teenagers. Rick Hoyt told his father, Dad, I'd like to participate in that event. Is there any way I can participate? As you can tell from the picture, Rick Hoyt is, a, is a, basically, he's, he has cerebral palsy. He has no ability to walk. He has no ability to run. He probably doesn't even know, never experienced that at all. He's got limited functions in terms of his arm, arms and all that. But he had a great desire to participate in that race. And his father, whose name is Richard, his father Richard said, he said, Rick, I'll help you. They entered the race, and for five miles, Rick, Richard Hoyt pushed his son, Rick Hoyt, on that wheelchair. He pushed him that entire uh, length of time, that entire journey for five miles. They finished next to last, but they finished. Rick Hoyt said to his father after, he said, Dad, you know, he said, Dad, this is what he said. When I'm running, it feels like I'm not handicapped. Now, that's kind of humorous to me. When I'm running, I feel like I'm not handicapped. The honest truth of the matter is his dad did all the work, right? Can I tell you what's waiting on God is? God's doing all the work. God's doing all the work. Garrett, you're like, you and I are just like Rick Hoyt. We are, we are like with a cerebric, cerebric palsy condition. We're handicapped. We have the inability to move ourselves. But we have a Heavenly Father who's willing to get behind us and to push us and to move us and to be the weight bearer and to carry us along the way. And listen, Rick Hoyt and his father Richard, they have participated in thousands of races over 37 years. They've been in triathlons and marathons and other types of things like that. They've proven over and over again that Dad can push his son and get him along the way. And I'm going to tell you something this I don't care how depleted you are, how discouraged you are, how down you may be. We've got a God in heaven that you can lean against. We've got a God in heaven you can lean all your weight upon, and you can lean your burdens upon, and your burden and your problems on, and you can lean upon God, and He will see you along the way. Because why? He's always behind you, pushing along the way. He'll never let you fall. He's your heavenly Father that you can wait upon. Finally, this morning, we see we're susceptible. We see a source, that's God. We see the steps, we must look above. We must wait upon. But notice the sufficiency. What does God tell us He'll do for us very quickly? Notice the sufficiency for renewal. Now remember I mentioned renewal in the Bible means like putting on a new set of clothing, new pair of comfortable shoes. Renewal means when God is at work, we feel just like new. We feel like Lazarus, who came out of the tomb, resurrected with newness of life, and Jesus said, take the bandages off you. We feel just like new. Now, what happens here? Notice the practices of one who's renewed, verse 31. Number one, they shall mount up with wings as eagles. Now, I want you to understand two things about eagles very quickly. Number one, there's the being of an eagle, and there's the birthing of an eagle. The being of an eagle <laughs> and the birth of an eagle. Now, eagles, by their very nature, God created them. They are strong. They were made to soar the heavens. They are made to stay at great heights. 
They have a wingspan of seven and a half feet. When they descend, they have been clocked at speeds of anywhere from 75 to 100 miles when they're descending from the sky all the way down. They are great visionaries. They're able to see from afar. They can fly for long periods of time. They own the sky. They soar the sky. They can see. Their very being means they soar. They mount up. Mounting up means getting ready to fly. They're getting up, and they're heading to the sky. They, they will be on the earth every now and then, and they'll be in their nest every now and then. But where they are in their element, their sweet spot is to soar the skies, to see from above, to represent that they are the king of all of the airspace. But consider this. That's their being. Consider their birth. Eagles were born to fly. Eagles were born to be strong. Eagles were born to be visionaries. Listen to me, brother and sister in Christ. When you got saved, you were born to soar the skies. Amen? You were born to be visionary. You were born to be strong. You were born through Jesus Christ. You were born again to be someone that you would find that your strength is in the power of the Lord and that your enablement is through God Himself. You were born not to be a failure, to have victory through Jesus Christ. I remind you, just like an eagle, we will mount up with wings as eagles. And then He says, we'll run and not grow weary. Runners amaze me, especially long-distance runners. The best runners in the world seem like they can run and never grow weary. It just seems like they're, they've got their breathing down. I feel like at times they don't even break a sweat. They don't get weary. Why is running used as a metaphor? Running in the Bible is an important metaphor about our approach to God. The very first time the word run is used in the Bible is Genesis 18. In Genesis 18, we have the Lord coming with two angels to visit Abraham at his tent. Abraham looks from afar and he knows that's the Lord coming. And the Bible says this. This is how, this is how Abraham uh, approaches. It says Abraham ran to meet them. And later on, Abraham ran to the herd, and he got the best fatted calf, and he brought it back to his servant. And he says, please make this. And then he ran to the tent, and he told Sarah, he says, Sarah, I need you to make haste. I need you to make some things. I need you to make some flatbread for them. I mean, he ran. Running represents how we're to serve the Lord. Running represents our, our, our mating with God. We must run to meet with God. We must run in serving the Lord. The king's visits require us haste. Hey, listen, Christians are identified by the running. The Bible says, says about Ahemias, his running is even like the running of Ahemias. We read about running there. We read about Elijah who ran from Mount Carmel and he ran over 18 to 20 miles nonstop and he actually outran the chariot of Ahab down there. When we're running, it represents the power of God upon our lives. The Bible says, by, by thee I have run through a troop. Listen, running represents the service of God and the mightiness of God in our lives there. He says that you run and not go weary. When you're waiting upon God, you can just keep on running. And you feel like you never get tired. But then he says they shall walk and not faint. Walking is the most basic of all exercises. Doctors and health professors tell you that if you're sedentary and sitting around too much, at least get up and walk a minimum. I don't know where they come with 30 minutes, maybe 60 minutes. They say get up and walk at least for 30, 60 minutes. I have a neighbor that does that twice a day. He probably he does 60 minutes at what, 5 or 6 in the morning because I've seen him out there at that time. And late at night at 7 or 8 when I'm out running at 8 o'clock at night. But walking is routine. And walking is boring. And walking is 
hard to get to start on. But he says, you know what? Even in the routine things of life, he says, you'll run up with wings as eagles. You'll run and not go worry. But he says, you'll walk and not faint. He says, you can keep on walking, keep on going. You're not going to faint. Hey, listen, the routine of walking the Spirit doesn't make you quit. The routine of living by faith does not result in weakness. The routine of praying always never becomes home. And then notice as we close, we see in verse 29, he gives us the promise for those who wait on the Lord. Is this available for me? Is this really possible? Brother and sister Christ, yes it is. He giveth power to the faint. And to them, notice this, that have no might, increase the strength. You know, when you're so frustrated... And you're so discouraged. And you're so down. You have no strength. Maybe for somebody here this morning, you lack, you barely have strength to get to church. But guess what God does in verse 29? You can bank on this. He gives power to those who are faint and strength to those that are weary. Aren't you glad about that this morning? That's the kind of God we have. Just like me. It's like taking off this jacket, which I feel is heavy right now. I could put on a t-shirt. I feel just like me. I feel relieved. God wants to work in your heart that you're experiencing renewal. The power of the Spirit. The strengthening hand of God. And everything you do. Wherever you do it. Wherever you go. He's not pushing yourself. He's leaning against the Lord. And then this morning, there is a renewal that God wants every person to have. If this morning you're not 100% sure you're saved and going to heaven, and that's important, because everything I just said in the last 45 minutes has no application to you unless you're saved. You're not sure you're saved. That means your sin that you're under has condemned you to spend all of eternity in hell. God doesn't want you to go to hell. God wants you to go to heaven. The Bible describes a renewal that you need to experience. He says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. God can make you just like me. You can be born into God's family. You can have the gift of eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, and be a new creature in Jesus Christ. You can accept Christ today. You can repent of your sins and call upon Him. Christian friend, that renewal I'm talking about is not something pie in the sky or wait out there. You can take it right now. You've got to wait upon the Lord. You've got to look above. You have to realize God is the source for your renewal. He has steps for renewal, and He gives you sufficiency. You can get those. Listen, everybody can have those wings like an eagle, and everyone can run and not grow weary, and everyone can walk and not faint.